Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 41 of the Early Parenting Podcast. In today's episode, I had the opportunity to interview the beautiful Penny from Sick Happens. Penny is a pediatric nurse, and in today's episode, we're diving into discussing coronavirus. We're talking about the research. We're talking about the facts. We're talking about what you can do, what you're in control of. I completely understand how overwhelming and intimidating and scary this time is because we are flying blind, but Penny does a beautiful job today of presenting the facts and I hope that it helps to bring you a little bit of solace during this crazy time and some practical tips to help to protect you and your family. Quick little side note, the discussions and the tips that Penny gives today are relevant for all of my Australian listeners. The advice that is given will depend on what country you are in because we are all at different stages of how we're managing the coronavirus. So if you're an international listener, first of all, hello. (laughs) And secondly, make sure you're listening to what your government and what your local recommendations are. The WHO, World Health Organization, and the CDC, the Center of Disease Control, are your big bodies that you can look to for advice if you are looking to gain some quality research and facts yourself. Anyway, let's dive into today's episode. Welcome to the Early Parenting Podcast, where we help you navigate the somewhat tricky world of parenthood so you can love the crap out of being a mama. I'm your host, Jen Butler, and I'm an early parenting consultant and a mama of two busy, busy boys. Join me as I explore all things early parenting and deliver them to you in toddler-friendly, bite-sized lessons. Because let's be honest, your toddler is probably smothering pseudo-cream on the wall as we speak. I'll be dropping my hottest tips on baby and toddler sleep, feeding, boobs, behavior, and so much more. Are you ready to feel confident in motherhood? Let's dive in. Welcome to the Early Parenting Podcast, Penny. I'm very excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. It's always a fun time. This is like round two for all of my listeners because I actually have an episode that we will bring out. I will release the episode that we've already recorded with Penny, but this is being recorded uh, a little bit later on because we're right smack bang now in the middle of the coronavirus crisis. And I thought we needed to change tact on what our other episode was going to be on and make it really relevant for what's happening now. So before we dive into all about talking about COVID-19, would you be so lovely of you to introduce yourself for us, Penny? I'm Penny. I am a mum of two gorgeous boys. I have Rex, who's nearly five, and Jack, who's nearly three. They both have birthdays in July, so I don't know if we're going to be having isolation birthdays or not, but we'll wait and see. I'm a paediatric registered nurse, and I've always worked in peds. Kids are just, oh, I love them. They're my absolute favourite. So I've actually worked in a whole bunch of different areas to do with kids. Uh, We moved around a lot. When I met my husband, he used to be in the Air Force, so we always got different postings. But when you're a nurse, that's, you know, the best thing that you can have. Like, the more experience, 
the better. So right now I'm just working in the casual pool of my local hospital in the, all of the paediatric wards. But I also have my own business called Sick Happens. And it's a parent education business where I provide evidence-based information to parents just about all of the common childhood symptoms of sickness and illnesses, just to empower and reassure parents that sickness in kids is inevitable. It's, you know, it's part of that parenting journey, but it doesn't always have to be feared. So hopefully with a little bit of education, we can all tackle it together. In the world we are, if we know what we know, it's so much easier for us to be more relaxed in what we're faced with as parents. So it's kind of like, that's why bringing you on today. And yes, we've had another interview that we'll be able to post down the track when things settle down this instance, but just, I guess, knowing a little bit more about coronavirus and what's going on and how it is impacting our families is it like all of this is going to help to put us all a little bit at ease I guess yeah Uh, absolutely and like we were both saying before we started recording that everything that's going on with coronavirus when we're faced with the facts as health professionals there is the fact part of the coronavirus but then you're influenced so heavily by your emotion as a parent and faced with the facts but also having that emotion what the best thing to do and how to handle it all so it's a very constant juggle between the two isn't it it absolutely is so i wanted to start by talking a little bit about what we do know about the coronavirus and we're stage three lockdown now for it's been about a week Hmm. but it'd be good to hear about what we know about the coronavirus and what it's doing in australia right now and how that's potentially going to impact families you know in terms of childcare and education and things like that yeah it's a really interesting perspective coming from children with coronavirus strangely it seems that it's not impacting or affecting children anywhere near as much as what it is with adults and they're not entirely sure why that is at the moment there is actually quite a lot of research that's going into trying to understand why children aren't contracting this virus at the rate that adults are. It could be something to do with how the immune system's working, but it's really interesting why that's happening. And I think it's a really important point to make is that there is that incredible fear around contracting the virus but kids are somewhat, I don't want to say the word immune because they're definitely not immune to it, but they're somewhat protected for some reason. But what's interesting is that they are still able to pass it on. They're what we call asymptomatic carriers. So I guess it's been a really interesting conversation around school and childcare. And we all know kids don't have any comprehension of infection control procedures or have any desire to abide by social distancing, hand washing, respiratory hygiene, all those sorts of things. So it's a really complicated situation that we're in for families where they're still able to go to school and childcare, but there's a lot of factors that you have to um, take in to understand why that's okay. You know, why are kids still able to go to school? Why are they still able to go to childcare? But 
they're not actually contracting the virus at a similar rate to adults. So it's a very interesting perspective if you're looking at coronavirus simply from a child's perspective and parents than it is from, you know, the mass amount of cases that we've had so far. Yeah, and so this is the perfect example of facts versus like the social implications, I guess. Like, so, you know, at the moment they're saying schools are open to children who are parents with essential workers. Uh, The parents are essential workers. And the definition of essential workers is anyone who actually has a job. Yes, which is quite large still. Yeah, exactly. So, like, my boys could still be in childcare. I don't want to say I received a lot of slack because that's not true but I had a few people who commented it was maybe about a fortnight ago when I was still sending the boys where it was just starting to be recommended to stay at home you know it was kind of like the messaging was just coming out and it was the end of the first term I thought I'm going to get through anyway but people were like oh you're so brave for saying that you're still sending them and I was like oh oh am I (laughs) it made me feel like obviously I'm putting myself out into the public being on social media but and it did make me feel a little bit funny that perhaps I was going to be sending the wrong message. But then I was like, but what is the message? Because <laughs> at the time I was following what the government was saying. That's so right. You know, I've had this same conversation with some of my really close friends, all in exactly the same predicament saying, but this is the advice that we've been given by our governing bodies, by chief medical officers, that it's still safe to send our children. And I totally stand by their advice and their recommendations. But then there's that sort of that one side of you going, okay, fine. Our kids may not necessarily become as unwell as adults or, you know, the risk of them contracting it might be less but these are all unknowns. We just Mm. don't know. And then I sort of personally, I thought, well, if I'm in the capacity to be able to keep my kids home, I'll do that. But then having that chat with a couple of my friends saying, but why would you do that when they're telling us it's safe to send them? So I can totally appreciate both sides of that story where you've got all of these countries that are a couple of weeks ahead of us and they're all on lockdown and we think, well, is, is that where we're heading? Should, should we be acting faster or should we be doing something faster? But we're in just such unprecedented times that it's really hard to predict what's happening. All we have to go off is what other countries have gone through or have done or, but then there's so many different, you know, living in Australia, we have totally different uh, situations that like that that are different to other countries so it's not exactly a, a copy and paste situation yeah like I know that obviously the devastation that's happened in China and in Italy China was obviously the first to get it and so they had nothing to to compare it to and yeah. then unfortunately was the next to you know um, suffer horribly and you know even the way they live is different they they have yes. so many people in such a small amount of land whereas Australia has, you know, their population was spread across a much larger, massive land. You know, you can get into so many of the variables, but as you said, it is such an unprecedented time. And like at the end of the day, all we can do is go by what the government is saying. And there's hugely different opinions, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, because you've got economics on top of that and politics on top of that. There's so many compounding factors here. It's not just 
public health. So you've really got to be careful, you know, like which perspective are you looking from? And, you know, I think the government is doing the best that they can with the information that they have and the position that they're in. But there is not just one thing to think about with coronavirus. There are so many different factors that you've got to look at. Exactly. And I think that at the end of the day, like for anyone who's listening and depending, you know, in a couple of weeks, this episode's going to air. So who knows what the recommendations <laughs> are going to be then. But We might look back on it and just have a little <laughs> giggle going, what are they talking about? Exactly. I know. We'll be like, oh, listen to old Penny and Jim. <laughs> Those girls have no idea. <laughs> sweet, sweet April, <laughs> Penny and Jen. <laughs> naive and gorgeous they were (laughs) no but I really think that for those like I think you hit the nail on the head that I think where you're in a position that you can keep your children at home then I think that's what they're saying is that that is the best option because and it's what you're saying too Penny is that we don't know if the kids are picking it up so if you want to minimize potential risk then if you have that ability to keep them at home Mm. do and if you don't then that's okay because that is what they're currently saying is okay. It is not complete lockdown. So basically it's like you do you girl, which yeah, is like yeah. my and favorite Yeah, are going to do the absolute best that they can by their family, their children, yeah. their employers. Like everyone's doing the best that they can. There's no point adding fuel to the fire and telling someone they're doing a bad job. You know, it's just not, it's not worth it. So I'd love to talk a little bit about, we know that children aren't being as affected, which is absolutely great news. Do we know much about the implications for, say, a pregnant woman, a breastfeeding woman? You know, I know I can talk a little bit about the breastfeeding side of things, but, you know, from your point of view, what do we know about the coronavirus and its spread, say, antenatally and, you know, via breast milk? I'm not actually sure um, if they have many cases of women that have given birth during this time in in terms of that have been affected with coronavirus Mm. and have given birth. But I think all of the recommendations from World Health Organization and the CDC is to, you know, is to absolutely continue to breastfeed. I know that there was a, a statement put out to definitely continue with your skin to skin. At the moment, it is just all weighing up risks versus benefits. Mm. And I think things like skin to skin and that first breastfeed or as breastfeeding as long as you possibly can, the benefits of those types of things are so high and so great that it is worth to continue doing those until proven otherwise. So I think there was a statement released as well that if, you know, if there is a mother that has got confirmed coronavirus, that they should be trying to practice safe respiratory hygiene. So wearing the mask, uh, washing their hands, you know, all of those really basic measures. But you've got to think of the practicalities of that as well with that such intense, close physical contact you have with your newborn baby they just live on your chest for so long that it's all well and good to make that comment but whether you can actually do that or not it's really got to be a case-by-case situation i remember when they was talking about that there was a news bulletin that said that you needed to practice social distancing with your children yeah. <laughs> i was like are you are you a parent like <laughs> you know? have you forgotten 
Oh my goodness. Like it is literally from a child's perspective, like it's such a hard conversation to have about, like I know in our household, we're just talking about the germs. Like, you know, oh, mm. this, this is all we've got to do this because of the germs. And Max is really good with that. And he's my five-year-old. He's really understanding. Ted, well, Ted's Ted. Like he kind of just, you know, <laughs> gets on with life and doesn't stop to <laughs> think about things too much. Yeah, look, how can you say to a child, no cuddles, no kisses because of the germs? Like they need that that yeah. love and, and a newborn baby gosh like that's just taken it to the next level of them needing physical touch yeah um, yeah I think there's going to be a lot of information that comes out in the coming years probably there's probably no way that we're going to be able to analyze this close to the pandemic but I do wonder the impact that coronavirus is going to have on new mothers and babies and young families, you know, just having that isolation, not having the ability to get out and about to, you know, like being a new mum is really hard. You want all of that support and you need those networks around you. And, you know, I saw a beautiful saying online, something like, you know, they say it, it takes a village to raise a child, but where's my village? You know, we've, the online world is incredible and we have, we're so lucky to be having this pandemic in this day and age where we have the internet but nothing is quite as good as having someone come over, hold your baby while you have a shower or have a sleep, or cook you a meal. As you know, new mothers are just that lifeline is just being cut. And um, I do wonder about the impacts that that's going to have on them emotionally. So not necessarily just physical health, but their mental health and yeah, just wondering how that's all going to impact the mum and dad, of course, your partner. It's a very uncertain time for them being on their own for so long. Uh, and that is something that I think, yeah, has been a huge thing that's come out of this is there will still be community. There will still be support and it is going to look different. And that is disappointing. Like there's no taking away from that. So, you know, and it's okay to mourn that. You know, and it's all okay then too to understand, well, you know, what can I do now? You know, this is yeah. what it is and everything will be okay again. I think that's a yeah. big thing is that everything is going to be okay again, but yeah. it's just this is what's going on now. And like you said, we're living and breathing it and learning on the go. In 12 months' time, we're going to look back on this and there's going to be all this research and we're going to know more. But until yes. then, we just have to ride the wave. Yeah, that's it. And I think, you know, for those new parents, it's probably really, there's, there is going to be so many in the same situation because, you know, there's still pregnant women out there and there's still people giving birth and there's still new babies. So I think it's going to be a really great opportunity for them to connect with one another, to support one another throughout this time, because it is so new. It is so different, but there's going to be, you're not alone. There's going to be other people in exactly the same position as you. So we just need to find a way to connect all of these people together. hundred percent. Now, one thing that's been brought out in the news, I'm sure it's a scare factor for, you know, many families and it's all in the, you know, in the um, interpretation because there's talking about social distancing rules being in play for the next 18 months, which like freaks you out to think, well, what does that look like? Like, yeah. is, it, is it the level of social distancing that's happening now or is it the, 1.5 meters with good hand hygiene and that you know mm, like when yeah. you're sort of just at that stage they're talking about that that would need to happen until there's a vaccine which is potentially 18 months away yeah yeah 
do you know anything about that penny or, or can comment on, you know, I guess the thought process behind it? Oh, look, this is all just very personal opinion here. I think that it's possible that when these statements are released and, you know, the media report on different comments that are made, it's about just that continual trickle of information to try and keep everyone up to speed with what they're thinking, what potentially could happen because people don't deal well with change. Change is not something that the masses enjoy. It's not something that individuals enjoy. Whether that happens or not, I don't know. No one really knows how long this is going to happen because, you know, we have to respond to how much we're flattening that curve, how our hospital capacities are going. But I think it's probably a good idea to just start trickling those little bits of information that there's a possibility that we could be doing this. Because if you just all of a sudden turn around and say, oh, surprise, we're not going back to, the kids aren't going back to school next term, you're all in isolation for the next 12 months. That would just cause so much emotional trauma that I think it's probably best if we just say, look, this is a possibility. Of course, those interpretation from reporters and the online world, it can just be Chinese with the whole way down but personally I'm not sure exactly how long this is going to go on for but I can't anticipate that it's going to end anytime in the near future exactly like you know and one other thing that I know has been spoken about is like maybe there is this illusion within the community that it's like we do something for so long and then COVID-19 will just you know disappear and yeah. it's the end of it but this is what happened with influenza all those years ago is mm. that there was a pandemic or an epidemic i'm not quite sure which of the two but it killed a lot of people and it infected a lot of people and a lot of people became very unwell and influenza is something we still see today we have vaccinations against it to prevent it and mm you know, the strain changes every year and, yeah. you know, like, but, and that's potentially what we're looking at. Like, and yeah. this is all above us. This is like something that is infection control and, you know, but, you know, it's just good to have these discussions to sort of put it out there into the universe that we'll always potentially have to deal with coronavirus being a sickness that can infect our community. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Like it could be the next influenza like it's it's very possible that will happen but you know that's sort of where science comes into play is we can we can take research and studies and data from similar viruses from the past to somewhat predict what's happening but it's not the same virus this is a very different virus it's a new one so all we've got is exactly what's happening under our noses right now and then we have some really clever scientists and researchers that are able to somewhat predict what could happen but but no one actually knows what's going to be happening in you know a month's time in Australia or what's going to happen in 12 months time it's sort of it's very much a, a learning on the job absolutely and we're all just doing the best in sorting through the information as it comes to us and that is coming to us from the chief medical officers and, and those it's coming down to trusting the experts isn't it yeah that's right trust in the experts and the science when, when we get it now tell me a little bit about on our level what can we do on a micro level on the things this is all stuff we can't handle this is all out of our control and all we can do is control our initial, our immediate environment. So have you got any tips for families on what we can be doing 
you know, just to minimize that likelihood of catching slash spreading coronavirus? Yeah. So number one, just stay home. (laughs) It sounds so much easier or so much harder, depending if you're a pessimist or an optimist, (laughs) Um, but stay home. It really is going to be your best bet of reducing that spread. Hand wash, really important. And I've actually just started talking a lot about how to wash your hands properly, but then also Mm. most importantly, what do you need to wash your hands with? So, you know, there was a, there still is panic buying. Every time I've gone to the supermarket lately, I cannot buy hand gel. I can't buy some hand washers and I can't buy flour. I've managed to find toilet paper, but I can't buy flour. So I actually have been talking a lot lately about what you can use to wash your hands. So surprisingly, everyone has rushed out to buy antibacterial hand washers, but coronavirus is a virus. So any back wash is not actually going to make any difference. To this particular virus and there's actually been so much research and evidence to prove that the actual soap that you use doesn't make any difference as long as it's got a surfactant in it so it bub- like it, it lathers when you're washing your hands mm-hmm. you can use any soap so you could use shampoo you could use dishwashing liquid the really expensive beautiful smelling hand washers are fine but it all comes down to technique So how you wash your hands, making sure you're covering all of the skin on your hands, your nail beds, thumbs get missed, backs of hands, wrists, and a really vigorous scrub for at least 20 seconds, and then rinsing with running water. Warm, cold, hot, it makes no difference. So I think that's been a really interesting one for me because it baffles me to think that people uh scrambling to find these particular hand washers when it actually doesn't make any difference so that's a simple one that you can do at home in terms of parents with kids teaching them about what's happening like their worlds have been turned upside down too i mean obviously this is very dependent upon their age their emotional maturity how much they understand but teaching them about what's happening, teach them how to wash their hands, coughing into their elbow, all those sorts of things, just to prep them for their world, because this is their world. And yeah, just so that they can become empowered with knowledge as opposed to fearful of change. Definitely, we're just going to have to take it day by day, but staying home, hand hygiene, respiratory hygiene, there was actually a recommendation had come out just over the last couple of days from the CDC, so the Centre of Disease Control and Prevention, about cloth masks. So we all know that there's been a really shortage of supply of PPE, so personal protective equipment for healthcare workers. So they're really concerned that there's going to be, we're going to run out of our respiratory masks, which are the proper filtered masks to protect from respiratory viruses, and then gloves and gowns and face shields. So there's been a really strong push from all of the governing bodies to say people in the community do not need these masks because we need to save them for our healthcare professionals, which is really sensible. But then there were lots of people 
making their own masks, so homemade masks just with fabric. And there actually has been some research done in this that showed that in the healthcare setting, these cloth masks, so the homemade masks, were actually increasing your chance of contracting respiratory viruses. And that was purely because when we breathe in and out, there's condensation, so wetness on the mask, and those respiratory viruses would then be attracted to that wetness and it increased your chance of contracting that virus. But this same study hasn't been done in the community setting, which is very different to the hospital setting. So then that sort of ran, everyone was becoming really fearful. They wanted to do something, you know, there's that, that common belief that, well, of course, wearing a homemade mask has to be better than nothing, right? I think that's sort of what made the backflip saying in, this is in America. So the CDC is based in America. So the recommendations for America over the last couple of days has been, you can wear a cloth mask when you're doing your activities, uh, essential activities. So grocery shopping, going to pharmacies or doctor's appointments. But these cloth masks are really more to protect other people from you. So it's not necessarily going to protect yourself from respiratory droplets, if that makes sense. This one's been a really tricky one for myself as well. I sort of have been, I feel like I want something when I go out to do my grocery shop. I feel like I really want something on my face because I don't want to get sick and have the potential of then infecting my family or what if my husband and I both get sick, who's going to look after my children? So for me, it's been a really interesting one, you know, sort of talking about fact versus emotion where I think, okay, these homemade masks aren't necessarily going to protect me from contracting coronavirus, but I really still want to wear one because yeah. I feel like this, it's something I'm doing to protect myself. So that's been a really, I've actually sat with this for a little while thinking, wow, like I still... I really want to wear one, but I know that it's probably not going to protect me. And I'm definitely not going to be taking masks away from our healthcare professionals. But yeah, that one was a really interesting one. Yes, that is like, because I know exactly what you're saying is you feel helpless, right? Like you feel like you want to do something. And even if that something isn't necessarily like it's being told that it's not going to be effective, you at least feel in control, slightly in control, in a controlless situation. So I completely understand that. It's like um, I've heard people are wearing disposable gloves and apparently it's the same thing that it's not effective in wearing disposable gloves. I don't know if you know much about that side of things. I like to think of disposable gloves as like a second skin. So they're really great at controlling the spread of germs and viruses and bacteria, but they need to be disposed of regularly. So you have to wash your hands before you put them on and then you basically can only touch one thing. So a lot of people are wearing their gloves out to to the supermarket, grocery shopping. So you think like if you're wearing, if you put your gloves on and then you've grabbed your trolley, you then pretty much have to change your gloves every time you grab anything 
connecting to put it in your trolley or if you want to touch your face pick up your phone grab your handbag pay at the checkout you need to be changing those gloves every time because the germs will transfer onto those gloves and then you'll then pass them on so the gloves are really great if you, if you don't touch anything but you may as well just have some hospital grade hand gel if you can find any um, and use that throughout your shop but that's why it's so important that we don't touch our faces because it gets transferred through our mucous membrane so eyes nose mouth all those wet spots yeah so i think people are popping those gloves on it and it's just it's not necessarily that the gloves are bad it's just that it's lulling people into this false sense of security that they're safe yeah. Whereas they're not because they're using those gloves to grab their keys and their phone and their handbags. And it's just, you may as well just not wear them because it's just being passed around everywhere. If the coronavirus is in their immediate environment. And I think like that is such a big point is like, don't worry so much about the gloves. Worry about, as you said, having antibacterial, like the, the hand gel, if it's there, but avoid touching your mucous membranes because like from what they understand, it's not just, you're not just going to touch the coronavirus and you're going to get it. It's actually yeah. going to be transmitted via at the wet parts, as you said, the eyes, yes. the nose, the mouth. So keep your hands the hell away from your face. Yes. <laughs> and, and that's why res- clean. <laughs> yeah. And that's why these respiratory viruses are so contagious because, you know, someone coughs or sneezes and it's expelled into the atmosphere into the environment and they do dissipate and they they don't survive on surfaces for very long although very interestingly some surfaces they do last for up to two days which is very scary but if you are just walking around you're not necessarily in danger but the problem with coronavirus is that a lot of people are infected before they have symptoms that's why it's um, somewhat been passed on really effectively because these people are infected and they're out and about doing their things and they're unknowingly infecting everyone around them, which is why the social distancing legislation came in really early because it's that it's creating that space around you to protect yourself from everyone else, but also protecting everyone else from you. So it's almost better for you to act as if you have coronavirus. Mm-hmm. So act as if you're on the attack as opposed to being defensive, if that makes any sense, because oh, then you'll yeah. be a lot more careful about how you're acting around other people. If everyone's acting exactly the same way, then that's why you stay home. That's why you, you know, are not going over to people's houses for dinner and you're staying you know, the one and a half metres away from people, the shopping centre. So it's just sort of on that, being super careful. I love that. Like the, just pretend you've got it basically and pretend everyone else has it really. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you behave that way, then you're going to be protecting yourself and your family the best way you can really. And just choose your sources, choose who you are going to listen to about this. And my suggestion would be make sure to listen to people like Penny who you're looking at the research, you know, like you're evidence-based and you're research-based. You're not just, oh, I saw something on Instagram that said, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, I think a big red flag at the moment is that if anyone is promising you a guaranteed 
solution to coronavirus just run in the opposite direction because we just don't have enough evidence at the moment. So there's no supplement that's going to prevent you getting this. There's no food, there's no exercise, there's nothing that's going to protect you. There's lots of things that could aid in your general immunity and general well-being, but they're the really boring things like getting lots of sleep, having lots of water, eating a balanced diet, doing exercise. There's there's no one magic fix for anything. Just live a healthy lifestyle and a balanced lifestyle. Yeah, as best as you can. And stay at home. Stay at home. <laughs> have a holiday to your backyard if you have exactly. one or the living room or the spare room. <laughs> well, in the short amount of time we've had been isolating, my husband's managed to um, lay down some new turf and some new grass so we have another play area. So, Amazing. you know, Bunnings will still be absolutely thriving at the end of COVID-19. So, <laughs> Can you imagine what will happen if Bunnings closes down? Oh, don't. Don't oh, think that dear. way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, I hope not. Everyone's oh, doing home renos. <laughs> it's the only thing that we have left, I think. Yeah. I'm going to have to do a whole other episode during this on protecting mum's mental and parents' mental health during yes. this. But yeah. this has been amazing to chat to you penny about the you know the infection side of things the research the evidence the facts and i think it's a great start for some episodes that i will be bringing to people while we are going through all of this but i'm just so grateful that you had this chat with me today and we'll definitely be airing the other chat we had down the track when it's relevant (laughs) but thank you so much for coming on today oh that's no worries at all i'm more than happy to be here i certainly am not a public health expert by any stretch of the imagination but yeah we're all just doing as best as we can no and that's awesome and and just a reminder for everyone uh, on where they can find you penny oh yes my instagram account is at sick.happens and i'm on facebook as well and my website is www.sickhappens.com.au perfect thank you so much penny thanks Thanks for listening to the episode, Mama. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to share the episode with a friend, with your mother's group, or tag me at Jen Butler Early Parenting on Instagram. The more that know about this podcast, the more people I can help. If you're looking for support that is personalized for your babe and tailored to your family's needs, then make sure to head on over to my website, www.jenniferbutler.com.au and check out how we can work together so you can move through motherhood with confidence. Catch you in the next episode, mama.